Welcome back into the Sunday Nighter on the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. Lots to get into on this edition of Talking Tide. Of course, we'll be recapping Alabama's thrilling comeback overtime victory over the rival Auburn Tigers. Our Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide, if you'd like to hear us at our web host, that's megaphone.com. Also get us on all the podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts. And as well, you can catch us live on Facebook or YouTube recordings at Facebook and YouTube as well. Quick thanks to our sponsors. More on them later in the program. But uh, quickly, want to thank Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, North River Dental Associates, and DraftKings. And with that, Travis, we dive into one of those games where it's hard to even finger where to start, right? A 24-22 to comeback win for the Crimson Tide. It takes four overtimes, a wild game. A lot of personnel issues for Alabama that we'll get into. A lot of big plays, a lot of excitement, uh, and a lot of struggles, frankly. But I think the primary theme for me, Travis, coming out of this Iron Bowl was that the offense has had to carry the defense for Alabama for most of this season, and the script got flipped in this one. No doubt about it for the Alabama defense, knowing that Bo Nix wasn't playing in the game at the quarterback position for Auburn chase. The focus was on tank Bigsby and that Auburn rushing attack. And, you know, you look at it, tank Bigsby, 29 carries, 63 yards, had a long run of 22 yards in the game. A lot of credit to that Alabama front seven. You had some defensive linemen, Federian Mathis, Byron Young to me, especially later in the game, came up huge in the fourth quarter to get Alabama the ball back. He had a tackle for loss. Uh, in overtime, he had a tackle for loss. So got in on a couple of those TFLs. So front seven play, I thought, where the primary area of interest was concerned with that Auburn run game that wasn't going to threaten Alabama with quarterback runs they did a really good job. Got after the quarterback pretty well as well. You know, 15 tackles for loss for Alabama in this game. That's a saving era high for the Crimson Tide. So uh, they took care of business. You know, Auburn averaged 2.4 yards per play. Uh, that being said, once Auburn had a 10 nothing lead with the way Alabama's offense was struggling, that felt like 20 to nothing at the time, at least for that Alabama offense. No doubt, particularly when uh, Alabama blew the field goal, right, to even get on the scoreboard at all. Uh, they get to halftime with fewer than 100 total yards of offense. Their best wide receiver and their biggest threat, certainly Jamison Williams, ejected for targeting on a call that I thought was the right call by the official. That was huge. At the time, Jamison Williams was tossed, Travis, Alabama had 68 yards of offense, and Williams had 43 of them. Yeah, he had a couple of receptions there, including a 34-yarder in the first quarter, and it was a hell of a matchup between himself and Roger McCreary, Auburn's top defensive back and a guy that, as we talked about in the preview, projecting as a high-round pick for the 2022 NFL Draft. thought it was interesting that Auburn traveled 
McCreary with Jamison Williams, wherever he went, whether he was in the slot, whether he was left, right, uh, didn't really matter. So that was a fun matchup while it lasted. And then when Jamison Williams goes out, Auburn did the same thing with John Mechie for the most part, sent Roger McCreary to John Mechie. And that really had you thinking, who the hell's going to step up for this Mm. passing game? And it really didn't happen until the fourth quarter. You look at, you know, Bryce Young's passing yardage output, 317 yards. You know, half of that came in the fourth quarter. He threw for 155 uh, with a couple of those drives late. So uh, McCreary was very effective. I think some Alabama fans would argue he was effective due in large part because he got away with a few things. Um, But he wasn't afraid of the challenge either. He took on uh, Jamison Williams, took on John Mechie, and it was going to take more than just Mechie to get it done. But Mechie was... I mean, he was super once Jamison Williams went out. He quickly reassumed that role of number one receiver and didn't really miss a miss a blink. Made some big catches, there's no doubt about it. And obviously, the two-pointer to win it at the end, that came on McCreary. Tough for McCreary to play the game that he did. I thought McCreary played outstanding. Got the best of, of Mechie at times, uh, d- despite Mechie's production after uh, Jamison Williams went out. But you know, Mechie runs uh, that little fake slant or that little in-out route, whatever you want to call it, Pivot. and uh, yeah. just just got the step on McCreary to get to that pylon and, and uh, game over. Alabama runs 88 plays in the game, too. So if you're Roger McCreary and you're matched up with Alabama's best receivers for pretty much 88 plays, probably by, by the end of the game, I don't care how good a shape you're in. Yeah. You're going to feel that. We always equate snap count, right, to big guys and defensive linemen and front seven. But with the way this Alabama team plays and throwing it 51 times in the game, that's a lot of snaps for a guy that's chasing even pre-snap, just trying to identify and chase guys uh, across formations to get lined up on, on the guy you got. Personnel-wise for Alabama, a lot of ins and outs in this one. Travis Darian, Dawcourt, not able to – he tried to go at center, but uh, was not able to finish the game, obviously. And, and Nick Saban mentioned at game that he just – he tried to go but just was not good enough. Uh, so, for a while, you, you get Dawcourt. You get Owens at center. You got George at right tackle. Then you get Owens at right tackle. You get McLaughlin at center. Uh, it it – it, it was a kind of musical chairs at those two spots for Alabama. Certainly a contributing factor to uh, the seven sacks that Auburn totaled, which was uh, just a, a big part of why Alabama's offense was, was completely uh, shut down for the better part of three and a half quarters or three quarters anyway. Uh, they ended up finding a way in, in the end uh, but that right that right tackle spot was definitely a sore spot throughout the game. Seemed like uh, no matter who was manning it, although got to point out, I think six of those seven sacks come in the came in the first half for Auburn. I think maybe only one after halftime. So certainly some improvement in that regard as the game went on. Yeah, you just felt like there at the end of the second quarter, Alabama needed to get into the locker room and try to figure some things out with that offensive line and. You know, the previous week, we saw some in-game changes to the secondary on the defensive side of the ball. 
in the game against Arkansas a week later. It's in-game changes on the offensive line. And uh, and, and court even coming out to start the third quarter, tried to give it a go. Alabama gets the ball to start the third quarter. Down 7 nothing, so all is not lost. But, I mean, very first snap of the third quarter, Marcus Harris for Auburn beats Dahlcourt. Six-yard loss on the first snap. Young is sacked two plays later, and so at that point, you had already made the move at right tackle with Chris Owens. Then it becomes, what are we going to do at center? And it's Seth McLaughlin, and give that young guy credit, man, for the situation he was thrust into. I thought maybe shotgun snaps were his biggest issue. He had some that were a little bit low, didn't quite get there at times, Um, but otherwise, he hung in there and competed extremely well. Corey Brooks, wide receiver, stepping up, obviously, the big touchdown catch uh, for the Crimson Tide at the end of regulation that forced the overtime. That was a big one. Uh, so that was obviously a, 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 a kind of a new face that pops in there, uh, presumably as a, as a result of the, of the Williams ejection. And lest we forget, a change at Holder as well. Alabama botches that field goal try. Next thing you know, James Burnup is handling – the holds. And I got to tell you, Travis, I I give Nick Saban credit for having the guts to make a switch like that. But to know every time a PAT or a field goal goes up, including in overtime, yeah. uh, that, that, that a backup holder is, is handling it in that kind of environment, that kind of hostile crowd in, in Jordan Hare Stadium. Uh, it, you got to think it was a little unnerving for the UA coaching staff every time a kick had to be made. Yeah, and that wasn't, I don't think anyway, a knee-jerk reaction to the muff by Paul Tyson. There were some issues, I want to say, in the LSU game on a couple of field goal snaps that weren't clean. Uh, so there was some there was some history there, I believe. But you're still correct to do it in that situation where every point is absolutely precious. Give James Burnup a lot of credit. Didn't have a great day punting the football for Alabama, uh, but stepping in there in the holder spot, you know, as big a kick when you think about Riker's overtime kick from 38 yards uh, is an Alabama kicker has had in quite some time. So uh, to nail that one with the backup holder, uh, kudos to both those guys because, as we know, that, that extended the game right there. Kool-Aid McKinstry with a pass breakup uh, in the fourth overtime to uh, deny Auburn two points. First of all, what do you think of this new rule where they're trimming the uh, trimming the overtime down to just back and forth two pointers after, I guess, the second overtime? What do you think of that and, and, and specifically uh, McKinstry's play there to, to break up that pass? Yeah, nice play because he had to run across the – the field basically because he was in man coverage. And so he stays with his guy through the back of the end zone and ball was a little bit behind the intended receiver. Still a nice play by Kool-Aid. He was certainly right where he needed to be. I'm not a big fan of going to the two point conversion at a certain point, you know, just do away with the 25 yard set up to start overtime and let him play from the 10 yard line until it's over. You know what I mean? No, we, we used see to that do it in high school. school. High yep. school. 
If you're worried about too much Kansas tiebreaker, we call it. Kansas tiebreaker. If you're worried about too much football being played, put the ball at the 10, you know, instead of the 25 and and play it out from there. So I guess that's sort of a compromise, right? It's not the three and it's not the 25. Put the ball at the 10 and let's play the Kansas game. I thought Auburn was in an overtime disadvantage with Finley being virtually immobile as a quarterback for the first two overtimes to start from the 25 uh, when you might, you know, obviously need a little bit more mobility from the quarterback and for more plays as opposed to just snapping it once from uh, the three yard line. So, you know, I, I thought Alabama lost a little bit of an edge that they had with the Finley injury once it went from the 25 to the three yep. uh, in, in the overtime period. If you look at the touchdown that Auburn scored in overtime, uh, that would have been the first overtime. Finley hit a couple passes, but it was catch the snap and get rid of it. I mean, he didn't even take a step, right? He was just feeding it to the flanks, and they were able to create some Yardage, I think, moved the sticks once or twice that way. Uh, other than that, you know, Finley, and, and credit to Finley for gutting it out because pretty much for the whole, I don't know if it was the whole second half, but for a lot of the second half and certainly all of overtime, it, he really couldn't move at all. No, he couldn't. And, uh, you know, Alabama looked to be in good shape in both of those first two overtime periods in terms of, where the defense was at. You had Auburn in a third and I guess it was a third and goal from the Alabama five, but Finley somehow fits a pass in to tight end Landon King, who makes a hellacious one-handed catch with Brian Branch absolutely draped all over him. And then you get Ben Patton, a backup kicker, making a 49-yarder in the second overtime. Yeah. Uh, before Will Reichard had to make the 38-yarder to to keep the thing going. So Auburn got some clutch performances as well there in the overtime sessions. Just a night where nothing seemed to go right for Alabama for about 58 minutes. I think I think the first I think it was the first time I've ever seen the flag thrown for continuing play without a helmet on Emil Echior. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he could, he loses his helmet. He continues to block and he can, and that's a 15 yarder. Is it not? Yeah, it's a 15 yarder and it's after Brian Robinson had picked up 15 yards. So <laughs> right. you had struggled all night long to run the football and you were starting to get some things going there in the second half because Brian, before he had to leave the game, really on the run that he left the game, on after went 37 yards but yeah you're right it was one of those plays once Ekior got hit with the 15 yarder that erased the 15 yard run by Brian Robinson it was it was incredibly difficult not to think well some nights just aren't your night and for Alabama this is one of those nights yeah no doubt uh even late in the fourth quarter uh before Alabama went on that epic 97 yard march uh, they had a they had a throw set up to Robinson that bounced off his face mask, I think, on a third and two. And then on the next play, uh, Young's got a fall on a, a, a mishandled snap or a bad snap, whatever you want to call it, uh, to kill a drive. 
And then they, they managed to get the ball back on their own three, I guess, with a minute 35 left to go. No timeouts. Uh, just pretty much the way the game had gone up to that point, nobody could have given Alabama, even the biggest Alabama fan, I don't think, could have given uh, Bryce Young much of a chance operating with 97 yards of grass in front of them, no timeouts, and that little clock. Had a little bit of a flashback to when A.J. McCarron hit Amari Cooper for 99 yards in that 2013 game. I know you remember that one. Yes. But you're thinking, that's not going to happen tonight because Jamison Williams is out of the game. So you're dealing with that still on top of everything else. But obviously a big play on Auburn's possession previous to Alabama getting that opportunity. Tank Bigsby going out of bounds. Um, they're on the second down play and a great play by Jordan battle to a keep him short of the first down yardage needed to gain because that would have sealed the game right there. But then to basically get him out of bounds and to stop the clock with Alabama with one timeout left, you know, as they said on the broadcast, uh, Gary Danielson and CBS, and that's probably an extra 40 seconds that Alabama has when they take over there and they got to go 97 yards to to tie the game. And I'll tell you this, too. Alabama special teams, other than the Will Reichard clutch field goal, the two field goals, I guess you could say, from Will Reichard, thoroughly outplayed in special teams. First of all, you had Williams go out on a targeting call while covering a punt. Right. Um, but Owen Chapman, the punter for Auburn, just time and time again, Pinned, pinned Alabama inside the 10. And after the first quarter, field position pretty much went Auburn's way the rest of the way. Yeah, it did. It did. I, Alabama was playing offensively with a hand tied behind its back, and special teams was was definitely a big part of that, certainly especially at the very end when the ball ends up on the three-yard line uh, with uh, a minute-plus left to play, and Alabama down a touchdown. They managed to they managed to move it down the field. They got it. They got the job done. Uh, sets up obviously a a daunting matchup uh, with Georgia in the SEC championship game. Obviously, we'll take a closer look at that one midweek, as we do when we preview games. Uh, but just at a quick glance, Travis, the matchup that clearly has to be the one to watch uh, for that SEC title game would be. Alabama's offensive line, which is certainly due for some drawing board work uh, in practice this week versus that uh, outstanding Georgia defensive line and whether or not they can get those guys blocked at all. Yeah, that's problematic when you consider the struggles Alabama had against Auburn. Uh, And you look at what South Carolina was able to do against Auburn, even offensively running the football compared to what Alabama did. Um, so many questions going into the week. Is it Seth McLaughlin that you stick with at center instead of Darian Dahlcourt? Uh, is it Chris Owens? I would think you stay with going into this type of matchup at right tackle. Uh, wow. What about Brian Robinson? You know, is he going to be good to go? I know Nick Saban on the SEC championship game teleconference on Sunday. He didn't sound affirmative in terms of Robinson status is Alabama going to go to Atlanta with essentially one scholarship back available. And by the way, Trey Sanders did a nice job 
uh, there in the fourth quarter and overtime in a couple of different areas. So uh, this is an Alabama offense. Yeah, you got a puncher's chance with Bryce Young and Jamison Williams and John Mechie, but you got to block some people every once in a while. And that's where Georgia has proven to be very, very difficult to deal with. I, I think both these defenses, though, are going to go into that game next Saturday thinking we're going to be okay against the run. Um, and if that is the case for Alabama defensively and you put the game more in Stetson Bennett's hands and he's got to make some throws to win the game, well, then you feel better about the matchup. Yeah, certainly. I, I think if you're Alabama, maybe you don't mind that the, the, the SEC championship game looking like the Iron Bowl looks, right, from a Fourth flow quarter. standpoint. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, just kind of drag it down and, and uh, you know, see if you could pull out some, some big plays late uh, with the passing game, as Alabama did uh, against Auburn. But certainly a, a huge challenge for this Alabama offensive line uh, coming up. Saturday. We'll talk more about that, obviously, uh, midweek here on Talking Tide. Going to thank a couple of sponsors on the Talking Tide podcast really quickly here for you. We're going to start by telling you a little bit about North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley, that great staff over there at 1100 Fairfax Park off of Watermelon Road. You cannot beat it. Get your routine cleanings there. Have your families get in there, get their routine cleanings twice a year over at North River Dental. They'll have you in and out of the building, not just the chair, in and out of the building typically in less than an hour. Also doing Botox and Juvederm treatments if you'd like to tighten up those facial features. Plenty going on over at North River Dental Associates. Don't forget those teeth whitening services either. You got an event coming up. You want your choppers to look as good as they possibly can. Give them a call at 752-3506 or visit northriverdentist.com. It's North River Dental Associates. Going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier, also in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, 15th year in business for the champions of chocolate. Peterbrook Chocolatier, ooh, those outstanding hand-dipped chocolate strawberries, not going to go wrong with those. Of course, the signature item there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, the chocolate popcorn, and you can still get your Alabama-themed treats as well with the SEC Championship game set for this Saturday over in Atlanta, Georgia. The Christmas gifts, such a big item this time of year as well. Custom orders that they can do for you there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Give them a call, 205-752-0211. Company orders, office orders, Christmas party orders, they're ready for you, and as you know, they can ship pretty much anywhere you would like your chocolate to go. 205-752-0211, that's going to get you to Peterbrook Chocolatier. Finally going to tell you about our corporate sponsor, and that would be DraftKings. Hey, you cannot beat the DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Thanksgiving weekend, new customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game, win $100 in free bets. If either team scores a single point, get it done at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Also play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. Millions of dollars flying around with that contest as well. So download that DraftKings Sportsbook app to your phone 
Make sure to use the promo code TPPN. That's the Pigskin Podcast Network. Bet just a dollar on any weekend game. Win $100 in free bets. That's promo code TPPN this weekend at the DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Football League. Travis, we take a look around the SEC uh, to close out the podcast. Start with the Egg Bowl, I suppose, 31-21. Your final score, Ole Miss takes care of business against Mississippi State on Turkey Day. Took that one in with a full stomach and and had a good time doing it. Lane Kiffin uh, getting it done over there. He did. Mississippi State fans bemoaning the missed opportunities there in the first half with an emphasis on the second quarter where you had multiple drop passes by Mississippi State receivers, some missed field goals for Mississippi State. And Ole Miss comes out to start that second half, really takes full control of the game, and Egg Bowl stays in Oxford, Mississippi. There you have that. Uh, LSU 27, Texas A&M 24. Pretty, ma- pretty sure that makes me 0 for the season picking A&M games. Uh, <laughs> Jimbo can't get it done. I guess LSU rose up one more time for, for Ed O, Travis. They did. They absolutely did. And afterward, O said that was it. He's done. Not going to coach the bowl game. We outlined the scenario, the potential scenario last week of 13 SEC teams being bowl eligible. Well, with LSU beating Texas A&M and the Florida Gators knocking off in-state rival Florida State, that's exactly what happened. Now, Vanderbilt not bowl eligible, but Vanderbilt does have a bowling team. So (laughs) that's close enough for the Commodores, right? And a darn good one. Very good. (laughs) Very good bowling team at Vandy. Elsewhere on Rivalry Weekend, Travis, blowouts left and right pretty much. You had Georgia romp over Georgia Tech. Clemson takes care of South Carolina 30 to nothing. Kentucky blowing out Louisville. Tennessee blowing out the aforementioned Vanderbilt Commodores. Kind of lacked competitiveness, I guess, at least in the SEC quadrant of the schedule. Yeah, Alabama-Auburn, the Iron Bowl tried to, to carry everything. And the SEC, the SEC did go three and one in those matchups with the ACC team. So not a bad result there. South Carolina, just not quite ready. Uh, And Clemson playing much better here in recent weeks, coming off that home win over Wake Forest the previous Saturday, and then continuing that dominance, Palmetto State dominance over the Gamecocks. It's going to do it for us here on the Talking Tide podcast. You do not want to miss our preview of the SEC championship game. That'll be dropping on Wednesday evening. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, and we'll talk to you midweek about that SEC title game. Look forward to speaking to you then. Signing off.